So welcome to everyone to this online Dharma Hall session offered by Guy House. And my name is Nathan, I'm going to be guiding the session today and hope it'll be uh, something of interest for you and supportive for your practice. And that's you know, very much the, the intention here. And yeah, just by way of um, kind of invitation and introduction, if you'd like to really feel invited to say hello uh, through the chat kind of function, so you can just click on that and anything you wanted to say, welcoming others, anything you want to, to do in terms of also kind of welcoming yourself to be here, to be able to kind of tune into this space. And yes, really anything you want to put in there, maybe anywhere, anything about where you are or anything about how it is where you are that you'd like to express to others. We can see that as an offering of the ways that we can bring in um, our presence and it also brings in a wider sense of where we all are. You know, you might have a uh, unchecked tendency to think that oh well you know they're probably not that far away from me and then you get a sense oh <laughs> our sense of community is actually much larger than we yeah, initially imagine. Yeah, it's really lovely seeing the seeing the messages popping in. And yeah, a really warm welcome for me. I'm in Dorset in the southwest of the United Kingdom. And yeah, to say a little bit about my um, intentions for this session. So kind of open it up a little bit um, later on in terms of a reflection. But this session is centered around the theme of doubt and how doubt kind of plays a part in our practice, whether we kind of recognize that or not. Um, in the Zen tradition, there's a very kind of positive spin on the, the um, reflection of doubt, but I'm not intending really to kind of lean into that so much. Uh, there's a Zen saying which says, um, a little doubt little awakening, great doubt, great awakening. But I'm thinking of here more doubt in the way that it debilitates us, stops us from uh, fulfilling our wider and more kind of beautiful potential. And for us to kind of fully get a sense of that, um, I would actually just like to invite you just to contemplate on what is your great potential. Yeah. And that isn't, I wasn't meaning it in the sense of, so what is it you haven't done, you know, towards your great potential, but also the question for me that brings that to mind is, what is it you want to see more of? What is it you'd like to exhibit in your life? And I think those come very close to being the same kind of answer as to what is freedom for you? What's freedom? 
for you? What's the what's the particular aspect of freedom you're interested in right now? And yeah, really just like to offer it out, offer the space here. Anything you want to share, anything you want to bring here is is really welcome. Anything you're interested in putting in there. And it can be very, very mundane, you know, something like kindness, you know, which, as we'll know, seems mundane but actually goes really, really deep and actually does feel really, really significant. And it might be something really profound, you know, like whatever, total liberation or being a conduit of love or something like this. And uh, love, love came through into the into the chat. Just as we say that, and peace, peace is there as well. Confidence and commitment, which is yeah, very much in tune with the theme I'm thinking about. Yeah, that times where we don't feel confident. It's a kind of a shape of doubt where we don't feel able to fulfil our commitment. Also, another shape. Allowing and harmony. Yeah, there might be a sense of resonance with any one particular shared intention here, or it could be that feeling of that kind of beautiful welling up of instruments in an orchestra, that kind of welling up of intentions to say, yeah, all of them, all of them have a beauty. Self-compassion, self-forgiveness. Faith in human nature, both inner and out in the world. Selflessness. Listening. Beauty. Tranquility. And those of you who've been here uh, with me, and maybe others also say the same thing, but for me, each of these... um, each of the words really are a, are a whole poem, and you could just read that intention to yourself. Whatever it is that comes from within you, in a sense, or comes through you in this moment when we kind of check in, there's a there's a kind of a depth similar to a to a great poem. That's how I feel it, and. Whatever it is, you know, in a certain sense, there's a beautiful book by it's Gregory Boyle, calls it Tattoos on the Heart, Tattoos of the Heart, and you know, it's an invitation you know, just to tattoo that on your heart for this time, draw it on your heart, hold it on the, the kind of shrine of your being. And let's bring that into a into a practice period. And I'm going to drop in a few suggestions 
as we uh, practice, partly as reminders, partly as just kind of setting the scene a little bit for this exploration of of doubt. And yeah, bringing your confidence that there's something here for you, bringing your commitment to your practice and just feeling from your creativity what's going to be the posture to support that. That Meditation isn't only sitting, so if you want to be in a different posture, sometimes standing, you can be without headphones, it could be even walking gently back and forth, feeling the presence of the body. be reclining and of course anywhere in between. We take half an hour for practice together and keeping that intention that you just shared or tuned into live for you or any of the intentions others tuned into and shared that you want to embrace through the posture and also through the practice. It can be a general sense that maybe the breath flowing through the body is going to be a helpful quality to attune to. So I can pick that. It could be the sounds in the environment or the sounds that are coming through. And just that wide open listening. Maybe that's the That would be the best sense store to explore with this intention. If this intention is best supported with a relaxed body, really just seeing how relaxed you can allow yourself to become in this moment without losing contact with this moment. We're not trying to fall asleep, it's not that kind of tranquility, but it's maybe a tranquility that's also got presence, got sensitivity. You can feel the breath, feel the vibrations of the sounds, feel alive. In other ways, perhaps that intention, what it really needs is us to take our seat, take our place, take our stand. Kind of coming into the body like a sense of empowerment, sense of nobility, sense of dignity. Positive kind of pride in being and showing up. the welfare, for the benefit of all, perhaps, for the quality that we wish to see in the world. At times, mind is going to wander, heart is going to wander, body is going to be left behind, and we take our time reconnecting those three friends together, body, heart, mind, 
in a conscious, attentive moment with intentionality. Taking your time to re-establish that presence, that energetic presence. It could be relaxing, it could be really coming forth. But for now, when you feel that you're present, coming to what is present and needing it with that intentionality. I'll pop back in in a bit.
Ordering yourself to ease back into the presence that you may have wandered away from. Really not needing to catch up with anything that was missed, just taking this opportunity to feel. Also to feel what's useful, is it that softening, relaxing, sometimes a contraction in the body can build up in practice and also in mind wandering at times. And there can also be a fading of the presence, the brightness, that taking your place. Maybe over the next few in-breaths, just really encouraging that sense of presence. It feels to be somewhere that feels appropriate to what you're trying to support in the intention you came here with. Invite, if you want to take it up, a little practice suggestion, which is oftentimes little niggles, little uh, unpleasantries come in the practice, you know, that urge to swallow, some itch on the skin, some kind of fidgety something or other. And, you know, it's okay to, to move, to respond, to all of that, but as a practice for the next few minutes, what would it be like not to scratch the itch? Not to follow that urge, but actually instead do that relaxing into the more spacious embodied way or that enlivening as if it's really arisen to be met with kindness and care, not to be met with rejection and fixing. It's a getting to know, not getting rid of, getting to know as a practice.
as you tune sensitively into presence in this moment. Just taking the time, not rushing, taking the time to appreciate actually the relative pleasantness of being present with what's unfolding, even if it's not ideal right now, even if it's challenging, be some gratitude that you're here, that you're present. And it might also be some gratitude that you know how to soften, how to be devoted like we just were to non-reactivity. Or how it is to brighten, to really come alive. A few more minutes of practice together and you can feel for yourself what's going to be most helpful. Just coming back to being present, being aligned with that intention in quite a broad sense. If you're interested, it's going to drop another suggestion for practice. Anything at all that's challenging, how would it be to embrace that? I'll take that. Maybe we're taking it so others don't need to. As if there's some kind of distribution or stress or challenge of pain. We take it, we breathe it in even. We take it in to be not stored but actually transformed and we'll breathe out all the goodness that we can feel, that we can imagine. Some of you will know this practice called Tonglen in Tibetan. Feeling in the less enjoyed qualities in the world. And breathe out the precious the delightful, the welcomed, the love, the connection, the harmony, the understanding, the kindness. It might have a brightness, it might have a warmth, whatever qualities, let that be there. You can use the breath, you can just use your own sense of the energetics, breathe in the more sticky, more problematic, the harshness of the world at times, painfulness. Take it and transform it back out and radiate this transformed energy for the welfare of all. that my deepest intentions may be enacted in this body-heart-mind, in this practice.
as we let life in, can we not lose our sensitivity? And as we give out what is beautiful, can we enjoy the boundlessness the contracted free heart, the uncontracted and free heart. And in your own way, in your own time, and of course even if at all we'll begin transitioning from this practice. You're very welcome to continue. If you like, just begin moving the body. And many of you will know this idea with practice. And, uh, it actually comes from Tanisaro Bhikkhu, I first heard it, which is, you know, when you so-called end a meditation, don't come all the way out. So whatever we've been cultivating there, don't let the, the bell or, you know, the movement from one posture to another cancel out all of that cancel, uh, um, cultivation. So, yeah, doing this sensitively kindly. The Dalai Lama, when uh, I think when I was first getting into these teachings, there was a t-shirt in um, around Dharamsala where he was residing, you know, that someone had made a t-shirt with some of his sayings on it and one of them was never give up. Never give up. And I think it's an important kind of message. Um, And actually it was a very inspiring little text that someone had put together. And that sense that there's always something that we can do. There's always something in our practice, some different way of practicing. So even when, you know, it's like, oh, I really should stop because my body hurts, or I should stop because... You know, I thought I had the time, but really, you know, got a very busy day. And just like holding that sentiment and maybe even seeing a, a cheery Dalai Lama kind of chuckling, saying, don't give up. Ah, ah, ah. You know, kind of his little laugh and that lightness is like, ah, oh, there must be a way to do this. You know, the Dalai Lama getting up at three in the morning and doing his practice so that he can still offer his service to the world. Maybe he's had to put his don't give up t-shirt on once or twice. <laughs> I've got such a busy day. So many people were having meetings with me. and Have I really got time just to sit here and cultivate you know, boundless compassion? <laughs> yes, yes I do. Don't give up. And I think, you know, teachers like that, they really, you know, they, they really mean what they say. They really encourage us to to practice the way that they practice. Yeah, it's not 
not just a comment for the t-shirt. And so, yeah, I want to speak a little bit in, in, a, in just a few moments around this idea that, you know, we're, we're going to get bombarded with doubt. And, you know, sometimes we might think it's a, a big thing um, that we can experience. And you know, many times it's actually just quite a small thing. You know, we just kind of lose faith in ourselves, lose faith in our capacity. Um and so it's helpful that we can tap into, tune into other beings that maybe have more uh, experience and more confidence in their practice and listen to those teachings and, and words of wisdom that maybe they can support us. And, you know, the Buddha is a great example of someone who spoke with real conviction. You know, and I think also with, with our well-being in, in mind. You know, and you know the Buddha would say about um, generosity. You know, if you knew what I knew about the power of generosity, you wouldn't let a single meal go by unshared. And I think that that's a really important uh, teaching for us. Not least because you know we are always the recipients of somebody's generosity. You know, that's, that's part of what it means to be alive. It's part of what it means to be in existence. You know, it's that somebody somewhere has been unconditionally kind to us. Because, you know, it's not easy in life. And so that kind of awakening in that teaching is to also say, don't turn down the opportunities for generosity and kindness. And... You know, one of these elements of generosity is that Gaia House has opened out this space for us to be here. Another element of the generosity is that, you know, long lines of wise beings have shared these teachings and practices so that we can actually gift ourselves a more pleasant abiding and that we can use those practices so that we can actually flow outwards and into the world uh, with more open and sensitive and generous hearts. And so, you know, typically around this point, we'll talk a little bit about dana and, you know, there's the potentials for supporting Gaia House. There's the potential for supporting those who come and offer these teachings. But um, I think the most sensible way of viewing these teachings is that they're actually part of uh, shaping our culture, our culture to wake it up, to really look for those opportunities where we can share kindness share compassion, share wisdom. And that might mean, you know, stopping and speaking to someone who's struggling. You know, we see, oh, yeah, we look like they're struggling. I'll, I'll go and speak to them. Maybe they're homeless, maybe they're um, crying, maybe they're, you know, distressed, maybe they just have a sense, you know, there's a being here that needs something, an animal that's caught, whatever. We just like, feel we should follow our natural movement of compassion. Yeah, and that, that movement, that dana, that literally not allowing a meal to go unshared, and also figuratively, you know, not letting our, our um, possessions become possessive, you know, not allowing our, our illimitable hearts become limited, and limited in, in thinking what we can do. Yeah. 
So to give Dana to Guy a house and the teachers, I think you'll work it out. You can follow back through the website. And But the majority of our creativity around Dana is actually, you know, how do I live this? How do I live the degrees of awakening that I thus far understand? And by doing that, I think that you'll also accelerate your own you know, waking up, your own embodiment of those wise and beautiful intentions. Yeah. So, kind of very much central in my heart and mind at the moment is a course that I'm uh, leading through Guy House called Fulfilling Intentions. And, you know, to give you a little uh, peek behind the curtain, because I think it can be helpful just to, to know about it, there's a, there's a group of, you know, I don't know, 60 or so people who are trying out the idea of practicing three times a day in small little packets. And... Um, the core idea is, um, well, one, one aspect of the idea is to notice what hindrances are present yeah, when you come to practice. So we've got those three little pockets of time. And then um, doing our practice, taking a posture, variety of postures, variety of times of day, and we get to see what happened. What happened? So we kind of check in, we get familiar, and we notice what hindrances are present. And then we check in at the end and see did anything change and you know we're keeping a little record there and I can say from my side uh, I've never had a session where the hindrance didn't change somewhat and you could say ah yes because everything is inconstant but also ah yes because the hindrances cannot survive meditation yeah that's applied skillfully and kindly with clear intentions for awakening so the hindrances, for those of you who um, have never had them, no, for those of you who maybe don't remember the list, is you know greed and aversion are the first two, and then there's restlessness or sluggishness, you know the kind of energetical way that we come into the world. You know I'm really frantic or I'm really you know dull, and then there's the fifth one which is doubt, and you know because I helpful advice in general around um, hindrances is you should notice them you should notice them right and you know my my real kind of favorite teacher of of the last you know generation is Robert Bay and he had this um, he said something maybe even like the last retreat he was teaching but you know probably had said it many times before is you know if somebody comes to me in an interview and you know they're working particularly on you know developing samadhi something like this and he's and they say there weren't any hindrances present his first thought is you weren't paying attention <laughs> and there's a there's a place in the teachings which says you know that only a buddha actually doesn't have any of these hindrances and you know we can we can take that as truth we can also take it as a pinch of salt maybe not even a buddha <laughs> you know, in any moment of, of real experience and appearance isn't to some degree going to be affected by the pushing and pulling of their experience. There's a bit of... Okay, muting has occurred. Ah, uh, yes. So, a little bit of noise coming through and fixed. So... 
that's whatever we take that as we can say that at some point in time it's very likely that we've got at least one hindrance going on yeah could be restlessness could be sluggishness you can just check for yourself it's like am i perfectly tranquilly alive you know am i really well balanced in my energetics or am i slightly thinking oh well this is good, but I can't wait for the end. You know, and there's that kind of greed or aversiveness kind of flowing through. There's some doubt. Ah, is there going to be anything useful for me here? Am I, you know, whatever, yeah. So, it's really good to notice them. And that's kind of like step one. The second point is it's really good not to believe them. Yeah, don't, just don't believe it. Notice that it's here, but just don't believe whatever it's saying, right? Because it's going to be shaping our perception. And the reason why the hindrances don't survive meditation, because meditation also shapes our perception. Yeah. So anything that shapes our perception is in some way going to undermine the hindrances. Yeah. So the hindrance comes in, it's shaping our perception, it's distorting our view of ourself, it's distorting our view of the world. The world meaning other beings, but also actually how is the world doing? Yeah, That very view that feels like my objective lens on having read the newspaper, no, that's all really shaped by whatever hindrance inclination is going on there. Yeah, A greedy person sees a world of things that they could get. An aversive person sees a bunch of things in the world to get rid of. Right? It's just kind of it's the way it happens. Right? It shapes our perception. But importantly, it also limits the range of options that we have. Right? So part of being free is actually being free to have a much wider range of possibilities for us. Yeah. So first step is to notice them. The second step is not to believe them, understanding that they're presenting a very biased view. And the third step is isn't just accepting it yeah so in a sense it's it's not doing nothing about it which is to say our activity matters and despite the fact that karma has really been you know expressed and explained and passed on to us in pretty awful ways basically the buddha's teachings are about activities that we can do that shape our way of relating to our experience and so it's all about planting seeds, cultivation, and all of this. And that's kind of what we mean by karma, like you know, setting things in motion. So we're shaped by our hindrance and our view of ourself and our worldview is shaped by that hindrance. But also it's shaping our posture, it's shaping what we are practicing, it's shaping our attitude and it's shaping our intentions. And when we meditate, you may notice that we often shape our posture right? We shape our practice, we shape our attitude, and we shape our intentions. Right? If you're not doing those things, I don't think you're doing practice, you're doing something else, right? So oh, I just, you know, my practice is just doing what I was already doing, but like, just, I call it practice. It's like, no, obviously, you're changing your posture, you're changing your practice, you're changing your attitude, cultivating new ways, and you're shaping your intentions and hopefully your intentions are well aligned with your deepest values. When that's happening then our practice is really worthwhile. 
So noticing the hindrances, but I think one of the most pernicious of those hindrances, the hindrance kind of pattern language that comes into our being, is doubt. So, so I want to speak a little about what, what is it? And there are many, many, many forms that doubt can have. And if you kind of check it out, um, sometimes it's called doubt, sometimes it's called confusion. Um, and possibly doubt isn't really the best word, um, because it actually comes with a certain certainty. Yeah. Like doubt, kind of like, it's not a vacillation. Hmm, maybe, maybe not. It's really like, no, I doubt this. Yeah, and that kind of doubt it actually has a flavour of certainty. So actually, oftentimes, um, a good response to doubt is actually to begin doubting it. And there we kind of go maybe into the territory of what the Zen masters were talking about, you know, with great doubt. Um, so many forms, doubt in the teachings and practices, to some degree, is kind of of significance to us. And we might think that that's an external doubt, right? Um, kind of the most obvious, um, but also it's like really pretty useless kind of doubt. It's like thinking maybe the Buddha or, or other spiritual teach, uh, kind of spiritual amazing beings, they weren't really radically awake. They were just fooling themselves or something, you know. So, I mean, who knows? <laughs> you know, they're not here to really kind of defend themselves. And, and I'm going to say, well, I don't know. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it, you know. And it's completely fine. I'm not saying you should buy it. I'm just saying I don't think there's anything really very useful uh, in that doubt for us to kind of unpack. I, I'm perfectly fine with anyone who says, I, you know, all this kind of perfect being thing and all making the Buddha a god. I mean, that's really unhealthy. So, yeah, I, yeah, I can see that. I can see that's really not going to be it for, for everyone. For some people, it might be really just the thing. You know, they, they're just, you know, there's something really helpful about faith in God. You know, many of you will know that there's a lot of calls of Allah Akbar as they pull someone out of the earthquake that's, you know, recently occurred in Turkey. And that whole kind of faith and thing is actually getting people through this. So we shouldn't take away people's faith. And I wouldn't want to. And equally, I'm not saying that you should have faith. Yeah, I'm just saying faith is useful for, for many people much of the time in this quite uncertain world. Uh, the other way, you know, you could lack faith in, in teachers. And I think it's also completely fine. It's actually recommended, I think, uh, I think in the, in the Pali Canon, you know, that before taking on someone as your teacher, you should um, uh, check them out for about seven years to just check that they're not making any ethical slip-ups and, you know... Um, you know, erratas around the, the teachings and, you know, declaring things about themselves or about others that really don't feel like that's not the kind of thing I want to be cultivating. And again, you know, it's, it's fine. You, you can have teachers, not teachers. You can have them temporarily. You could take on, an, you know, a specific relationship that feels much more, you know, has more significance and importance and all those kind of things. It's, that's for me. That's it's, that's all fine. What I think is the most important doubt to talk about is actually losing trust in ourselves, losing confidence in ourselves to do the things that these teachings point towards. You know, and then that doubt it appears any times when we feel like stopping our practice. So, I think I've done enough. 
you know, in that moment where you just, oh yeah, I think I'll do something else. Or when you don't feel like starting, yeah. Then morning comes, you, know, you said I'd practice in the morning, and then it's the morning, and it's like, oh, wow, there's so much to do, you know. Remind ourselves of that kind of famous Gandhi quote, you know, it's like, I practice one hour every day, uh, unless I have a busy day, and then I practice for two hours. <laughs> that, kind of, that kind of attitude towards practice can be kind of like, just tell ourselves that little joke. It's like, oh no, I'm really, really busy. Oh, I better practice for longer. <laughs> Just having a bit of humour sometimes can break through the doubt. And of course, you know, there's times where we might reflect and say, you know, I've been practising for this many months or this many years or this many decades for some of us here. And, you know, it's like, what's happened? What's changed? What's really gotten better? Have I just been wasting my time? And... In that moment, that's probably a doubt, right? And we probably have to understand, well, this is a biased view. I'm not in a very good place. I'm not seeing this objectively. But also, there could be a question, am I, am I actually practicing things that I want to get better at? That really important point about practice, which is what you practice is what you get good at. Now, if our practice is just, you know, waiting for a bell to ring... Um, then that's what we're getting good at. And that's probably not why we really practice. So sometimes there's an importance in the doubt, you know, and, but, but in this moment we're just thinking it's like it's disencouraging us from doing the practice. And that's what we're declaring this kind of doubt. That's that doubt that loses faith in itself. And of course, all of these are kind of self-fulfilling prophecies with unfulfilling outcomes. Yeah. Not doing it not showing up, not using them as invitations to meet well, and we give up. And that's not what the Dalai Lama wanted to put on a t-shirt. You know, when it gets difficult, give up. <laughs> if you start to doubt your practice, give up. No, it's like, don't. Don't give up. Even so far as never, never give up. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on your potential. And hopefully what we sense here is actually this is a practice of cultivating a good sense of self, good sense of possibilities. Because when we give up, we actually reinforce the view that there is nothing you can do. Yeah, oh, you know, sometimes it's just too hard. You know, sometimes, sometimes, every so often once in a generation, there'll be someone like me who just can't do it. You know, kind of reinforce that view. It's not doing it. Is You don't get any evidence, you know, of what it would be if we didn't give up. So at the minimum, you just say, okay, I'm just going to do a few more minutes and see, see what happens. Yeah. So it doesn't, doesn't make it out of your reach, but actually give yourself a direct experience and over time I think that what we'll find is that there we start to build our conviction yeah and that's very much what I'm hoping is going to be the outcome for this course is that when we do our practice we notice what hindrances are there we notice that changing the posture changing the practice starts to impact the hindrances 
we start to realize this practice works. I came from there, I brought in this, I ended up there. There was better than there, practice is good. Keep forgetting it, and I keep not doing it. For me, before I practice, I find it's really helpful to do a few rounds of Surya Namaskar. You know, many of you know this kind of little yoga routine, you kind of reach up high, you bend down low, you do a big step back, and you do a downward dog, that kind of arching thing, and then you go through another one. So by the time I've done that, it's really, really good for my body to have done that. And I forget all the time that it's really, really good for my body to do that. You know, I don't do my yoga practice. I kind of forget. I lose that conviction. But if I keep doing it, I remember. And I have confidence in that. It's like, that's the right thing to do. Not the other things that are kind of pulling my attention, like, you know, just skip it all and jump straight to whatever it is. Yeah, the kind of the urges. So mindfulness here is really helpful. We had the mindfulness that notices there's a hindrance, but also the mindfulness, literally, to remember something. Remember the thing that we're now doubting, the essential thing that we're now doubting, which is other possibilities are available for me. Yeah. Getting to know the possibility of possibilities. Right? Really kind of purposefully put it that way because it might not feel that a lot is possible for us. But are we really sure that there isn't some possibility of there being possibilities for us? So start to bring a little bit of healthy doubt to that actual misnamed doubt, which is actually strong confidence in our inability. Yeah. And just bring that quality more and more to mind. So if we practice with intelligence, and that could mean like just jotting it down. It's like when I started my practice, I felt like this, and I did this practice, and now I feel like that. So we're actually seeing how it works, and that builds the conviction, builds the confidence. With all of these hindrances, sometimes just naming them is enough. You know? But oftentimes it takes a little bit more work. Like, ah, I see you. See that there's some dukkha patterning here. What we need to do is actually open the perspective and just kind of think what might be a skillful response from the practices that I know how to do already. What might be a skillful response here? And there's a fundamental insight that's actually running through this. And it is called Save Sankara Dukkha, yeah, in the Pali. All conditioned things are dukkha. But in our case, turn it the other way around, which is all dukkhas are conditioned things. All the hindrances are conditioned. They rely on conditions being a certain way for their existence. And we, in our meditation practice, play with conditions. The condition of posture, the condition of intentionality. Yeah, you can change your intentions intentionally, your attitude. So that last bit of the practice that we did really changes the attitude. 
I don't want the unpleasant, I only want the pleasant. Yeah? I think many of us default to that at times, occasionally. Once or twice in a decade, we kind of go pro, pro-pleasant, anti-unpleasant. And this practice, you can just switch that around. Switch that attitude around. Hindrances need us to say, I do not agree to have any unpleasant things in this body, heart or mind. And I'm not even particularly keen on having in the, them in the local neighbourhood. Yeah. And then we turn that around and say, welcome them in. Come on, get into this body, get into this heart, get into this mind. Get into this moment. You can be here. Come on in. And instead, I'm just going to breathe out, radiate out kindness, love, peace, understanding. Giving away the most beautiful things I can have. Weirdly, it's a very, very good practice. Because it really lowers aversion and it really lowers greed. Because we actually get to experience the happiness of giving away the most beautiful and precious things that we have. A loving heart. Sensitive, expansive, body, heart, mind. So all hindrance shapes, therefore, being conditioned, can be unconditioned. All hindrance pattern languages, which you know, kind of are taking their place, they can be decommissioned by taking away the conditions that keep them there. And so this kind of fundamental truth is here that you know we might be having a bout of doubt, you know, having a bout of doubt, and instead we could actually have a friendly bout with doubt. You know, it's like a, in a boxing match, they call it a bout, I think. Yeah. A bout of fighting. It's like just a little friendly bout with doubt. And we say, ooh, I wonder if you could stick around if I change my posture. And just kind of challenge it. I wonder if you could stick around if I start practicing kindness. Because kindness. And really just give things away really start to question, can it? When there's dukkha, what else is there? Was the Buddha's second noble truth, inquiry. When there's dukkha, what else is there? It's often contraction. It's often a strong sense of self. Oh, doubt. Can you survive me easing out contraction? Softening, expanding opening the heart, including more into consciousness until it grows and grows. Kind of have this um, cartoon-like image of doubt in my house. Help, no! (laughs) I can't survive that. But maybe it can, maybe it can't. Depends how pernicious it is. Depends how kind of talented it is talented it is, how much energy it has at this time. Can it survive when we really exchange self for other? Really place the priorities elsewhere when we breathe in the dukkha, when we breathe out the freedom. Whatever we do, 
when we're meeting these hindrances, we're actually encouraging a sense of freedom by opening that perspective, changing the conditionality that's already in place. And we're also inviting our sense of self, our sense of the world, to step out of that more rigid dimension that all the hindrances have in common and something subtler, something that feels good, something that feels spacious, that feels peaceful, feels joyful, that feels connected, that feels selfless, that feels non-judging, that feels allowing, and that brings us the confidence to be committed to our deepest values. And uh, I think that kind of is where I wanted to get to, just to remember we have choices, we don't need to listen to them voices of doubt that pop up in our hearts and minds from time to time. And I'd like to open the space to you if you have any comments, reflections, inquiries that you'd like to bring in, you're very welcome. So what you're kind of speaking about is that would would kind of asana be a uh, taking a yogic asana movement kind of practice um, with with more movement be a kind of a sensible way of practicing when there's you know a lot of that that kind of energy or anxiety or any of those kinds of things. Um, So what I would what I would kind of reflect there, which is you know yourself best, right? You know what works for you, and so in that sense, you know that you know we, we are each our own teacher, uh, fundamentally, you know, essentially. So um, trust yourself, trust your own instincts. But also, I would say if you if you're stepping outside of the bounds of um, what are kind of the generally guided suggestions of working with restlessness or whatever you know it's kind of like and they're not working then definitely it's worth kind of keeping a record of like what works for me and kind of like what comes out from that so you know it's not that it's always going to be the same but we might start noticing well actually that led to brightness or actually that led to dullness it was too much or actually it just led to you know kind of there's just a lot of proliferation of that thinking except I was moving or it moved that energy through and then I felt more calm and peaceful. And it's like, just to really get that sense, and eventually we might understand what it is in all of this that's actually helping. Um, in a way, do the, do the easy and, and get to know like, how it works for us, what it, what it does for us. Over time, I imagine, we will be able to extract from the asana, whatever it is that the asana is doing, and maybe come there directly. Yeah, maybe actually just be able to, okay, I understand. You need to move through, you need to be given space, or you need to be given permission, or I need to be given permission. There's, it's actually this that's underneath all of this. And it's, uh, so it's really a kind of a skillful learning. But um, yeah, do, do what feels helpful, obviously, and, and learn from why it might be helpful, what it might be doing, without... Uh, allowing that to get in too much in the way of it, it doing its good, yeah. But like, just a light interest. Oh, I wonder why that works so well for me.
Great. So the idea of changing the the conditions. So we, in a, in a sense, we could say that um, there are two hindrances which it's very obvious that they're impacting us in in kind of bodily life, energetics, um, restlessness. Yeah, you kind of feel it's too much energy for the space of the body or consciousness or whatever we're feeling. It's like, wow, I've just got so much. I need to do something about it yeah? and the other one is this kind of sluggishness where we just feel like there's not enough energy in the system so those two it seems quite obvious that we can change those through the posture yeah anyone who's kind of done a bit of standing up posture or lying down posture will know that they often come with kind of a flavor of energetics and what we just had shared before is also there's the movement postures which Oftentimes we, we only really talk about walking in Buddhism. Uh, yoga was, you know, either it was just presumed everybody knew how to do that at the time and so it didn't come into part of the teachings or there was some kind of reaction to it and it wasn't valued or whatever reason, is that, you know, it's not, it's not there so much. But I think it is a movement practice and something that we can be present in and mindful in so we could say you know, there are those movement practices. They also have a different energy. As we say, you know, it can move through that restlessness. It can also enliven the sluggishness. So, you know, it can be really helpful to change the posture. And in that way, the posture is a, a dial of conditionality that we can change for those things. We may, in a moment of greediness or aversiveness, also just check in and say, well, what's actually energy there? If you're having it come up in your meditation practice itself, and say you were sitting, you might find that with a lot of greedy, desirous, uh, even lustful kind of thinking, there's kind of a leaning forwards into some future moment where that's going to come. Um, and if there's kind of aversiveness, rejection, hatred, uh, annoyance, all of that, there can be kind of like a little bit of a moving back. And so again, that's a condition that we can start to notice that comes along with that. Or is a tightness in the chest or there's a uh, you know, an eagerness in the thing and we can actually start to change that through the way that we breathe, through the way that we hold the body and all of those. So that's all things that might kind of relate to the posture in terms of uh, what we can do. So that's another way of changing the conditionality. There's also loads and loads of different ways of practicing. Um, so that's soothing, calming, the breathing, all of that. Um, there could be bringing in qualities of brightness and, and, and energy as we're breathing in, feeling the cells enliven, that kind of thing. And those are more kind of um, delicate areas of conditionality that we can support um, also through our practice. And then there's another whole kind of field of the Brahma Viharas with like metta, uh, loving kindness, as it's often called, practices, compassion practices. And they really change the conditionality because they're not our commonly go-to thought patterns. Um, so that's another whole way that we can shape our conditionality. So I hope that's, that kind of responds to what you were inquiring about. Thank you. So that, that, all of that is often called uh, the, the three types of fabrication or something like that that you can have. Uh, the main three ways we fabricate our experiences through the body, through the verbal, through the mental activity, and then also through the uh, attention, how we pay attention and uh, what we pay attention to. They really shape our experience.
Yes, please. Thanks. Yeah, so it's called Fulfilling Intentions. Um, we are two-thirds of the way through it, or more even, um, but I'm hoping that it's going to be, I'm not sure if Gaia House has many of them already, um, it's going to be a kind of a, a, a course that's going to be available to, to drop into. Um, so, uh, sorry, like um, not drop into so much as uh, pick up uh, later on and, and run through on your own. Yeah. You're welcome. And uh, it's not just sitting three times a day, it's, it's practicing in all postures. So there's kind of a real emphasis on, on you know, sitting in different uh, practicing. See, this is actually really, it gets uh, kind of synonymous meditating and sitting for, for many of us. Um, meditating in all four postures um, uh, more, more regularly. So we actually get to understand how they condition uh, our experience and, you know, if, if we say that the hindrances are conditioned and we want to change those conditions, but all we ever do is sit and breathe or something, then, you know, we may be missing out on a, a lot of the potential that the posture can bring for us. I think keep an eye out on Gaia House emails, um, yeah, for the fulfilling intentions thing, yeah, sign up for their e-news, uh, e e-letter thing. Lovely, thank you. Uh, thank you. It's really kind of you to share that, and I, yeah, I really do hope that these these teachings are relevant to our lives, and you know that are um, coming here into the online Dharma Hall, among many other places where we can practice together, is a support for the whole of our lives. Um, and yeah, thank you for being here. Thank you for your presence and all the support that that brings to others, and yeah, saying that to everyone here as well. That. You know, collectively we are we are a great support to each other and we don't know what others are going through um, and we might you know underestimate the importance of our presence for each other that we are in this together and I'm thankful for your presence <laughs> well well, well noted. I think they are the really uh, important takeaways here. That you know, doubt is actually a, oftentimes in the in the felt sense of it is a real voice of questioning, uh, unquestioning, and you know, certainty. And that our ability to question that is actually part of what we're um, what we're bringing to bear on on our experience. You know, that we are interested in these experiences and we're interested in how they're conditioned and how we can get out of that. Yeah, no trouble. So we have some time remaining. If anyone wants to bring anything, anything more in, you're very, very welcome. And yeah, I just uh, leave this to say, you know, it's like many of these, you know, ideas and things are things that I found useful that I've picked up along the way and, you know, a lot of respect and appreciation to all those who've, who've taught me. And I think that if you are interested in this area and you don't know a lot about it, then um, I would suggest checking out um, Rob Babea's teachings 
um, on the hindrances. You know, I think there's a lot of skill and a lot of wisdom and a lot of helpfulness that, that come uh, through Rob uh, almost all of the time, but particularly around this, this area. You know, these are not just things that come up in meditation, they are actually um, common ways of uh, perceiving the world through lenses through which we perceive the world. And, you know, we, if left unchecked, you know, they, they don't lead to the better world that we dream is possible. And if we do learn how to um, reduce their impact on us, then it really gives us all a great chance to, to live in a more beautiful community and with much richer potentials. So, yeah, final word is just to really bless you for your practice and, you know, it's not always going to be easy, but step by step, drop by drop, we're you know, heading in the right direction and filling the the pot with goodness.